0: We'll jump in this morning to week five of our summer series called All. And uh, all summer long, we're looking at and, and studying together how we can live in such a way where God has all of us and where we fulfill Christ's command and the command that's fulfilled in the New Testament through Christ to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And so this morning... Uh, We're calling this message, The Centrality of Joy. We're talking about joy and what joy plays in our lives today. You guys awake? You with me? We okay? Okay, good. Well, let's settle in and let's uh, bring our hearts before the Lord this morning and um, quiet ourselves. Let's close our eyes and, as we always do, just have a moment of uh, invitation to invite the Lord here in a moment of silence. And I want to encourage you... You know, as we go into this time, if you're carrying anxieties, if you're carrying fears, if there's just a flutter of soul this morning, maybe because of some circumstances that are happening, some things in life that have hit the fan, would you just cast them at the foot of your Savior this morning? Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added To you, let's orient ourselves in the presence of our God this morning. psalmist says my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you and when I think on you through the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me Let that be said of us this morning, Father. Let our souls be satisfied with this simple gathering and in a simple study of your scriptures and with a simple remembrance of you. Would our souls be satisfied and bear witness in us that God is in fact among us, that we have not been left to our own destruction, that we have not been left uh, to the effects of our own damaging circumstances, but that you're with us and you're for us. And we can be called sons and daughters because of the finished work of the cross. So let our souls remember you this morning. And I pray that as we study the scriptures together, as we gather together, as we break bread together, as we do every week, Uh, Let it be said of us that God is among us. Would you teach us and instruct us according to your word and according to your Holy Spirit? And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the young adults said. Amen. Amen. Well, um, some things are absolutely central to our life of faith. And over the course of this series, we've been looking at some of those things, and we will continue to look at them. But when we look at Scripture, there's a number of different things that we can say are absolutely central to what it means to be a Christ follower uh, and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, One of these things I think we would all agree on is love. Love. Okay, kind of important when it comes to the Christian faith, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is uh, the demonstration and the very reason why we were saved at all and called sons and daughters. It was because of the great love of the Father that he has lavished on us, John says, that we are called children of God. Love is kind of important. Uh, Another thing that's important is, is obedience, Right, There are clear moral guidelines in Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament that fit together that paint us a clear picture that the way we live is, in fact, important. We can point out hope in the life of the world to come. We can point out peace. But this morning, I want to suggest that the thing that is joy— is actually central and incredibly significant and important to us in our lives of faith. I think where we can treat joy as a cutesy little add-on to our life of faith, and oh yeah, that's a nice addition. Uh, In Scripture, we actually see a different narrative. We see that the thing that is joy is something that is a pillar in our relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit with him. And we find this in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, 16-18, a very uh, well-known passage of Scripture. But the Apostle Paul goes so far as to say this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, a very well known passage of scripture, kind of has this trifecta of things. And really, the whole uh, chapter of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is going, kind of clipping through these different things that are, that are central to the Christian tradition and life of faith. And he says, and we can put that back up on the screen, be joyful always. He starts off with that, this passage, uh, uh, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances for these things are the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Where we can get so caught up on equating and reducing the will of God to a job that we work or a certain occupational uh, niche that we have or finding the one which is, first of all, nowhere to be found in Scripture. Let me just get on my soapbox and say that. Or a number of different things in our lives that, yes, are important, and, yes, are good in their own right. Paul says that being joyful always and praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances, these things are the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. And so when we uh, are joyful... And when we pray, and when we give thanks, when we adopt these three things into our lives, that we are actually fulfilling the very will of God for us. But specifically, we're talking about joy this morning. Joy, as we can see in Scripture, is central. Joy is kind of important to our life of faith. And in fact, uh, I would go so far this morning as to suggest that joy is our vocation and heritage as the people of God. That joy isn't some cutesy add-on to the Christian tradition, but it is in fact to be joyful, to live in joy uh, under this canopy of covenants that we've been adopted into and given. Uh, Joy is very central. Joy is a vocation. Joy is something that we ought to live our lives and our lives be characterized of and in, but it's also a heritage, this inheritance, this thing that's given to us, and that that is a natural outpouring and overflow of our redemption and adoption as sons and daughters. And I want to point something out here. Joy is very, very different than happiness. And many of us may uh, be well aware of this and have heard teachings on this from time to time, but I I would equate happiness, happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is uh, intricately and really um, exclusively tied to circumstances. You wake up and you have a great cup of coffee. I'm talking like the boldness and the richness of that flavor of your coffee is going to make you happy if you're a coffee lover. If you're a tea drinker and you have the nice dip of the green tea and you add some honey in there and maybe a touch of sweetness, some agave, if you're really upscale and fancy, that's a good way to start a morning. You're going to be happy. Okay, but about five minutes later, if you stub your toe and the coffee spills all over you and you have hot mess of coffee and tea all over your shirt and and you have third degree burns because of it, you are going to not be very happy, right? I'm proving the point that happiness is circumstantial. But joy, on the other hand, we see in scripture, joy is more a disposition of the heart, Joy is something that uh, can exist and should exist outside of circumstances, and even outside of uh, some of the chaos that rages in our own soul. Joy is anchored in something bigger than itself, and therefore joy uh, can be had and can be lived in apart from circumstances. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is a disposition of the heart, and even joy, I think, is a choice. I think we, every single day of our lives, have the decision and the invitation to choose joy. Where we can get disoriented and succumb to the fog of all that life has to offer in our young adulthood, uh, we can choose joy and say at the get-go every single morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I choose joy. I choose joy because there is a reality that transcends my circumstances. There's a reality that transcends the fog and the clutter of my daily life. So I choose something that's greater than myself. I choose my vocation and I choose my God given heritage, that of joy. Joy is central, uh, you know, and years earlier, before Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 5, he wrote Galatians. In Galatians, there's a significant list that we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, we all learned that in grade school. We learned that in Sunday school. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And maybe you had the, those little Velcro things that like strapped to them, spacing the name of it. If you guys can help me, that'd be great, but none of you know what I'm talking about, so that's okay. You had those little Velcro things like the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. And we learned these growing up, but joy is the second thing on the list right after love. Obviously, joy is central and is a pillar in our life of faith, our vocation, and our heritage. Uh, So I want to kick it to a question and go to the tables now to discuss a couple questions here. And the questions are this, uh, why is joy so central to our identity as the people of God? Why do you think? And what role does it play in our lives of faith? Let's talk about this a little bit. Let's discuss, let's get our hands dirty, and uh, then we'll pick this thing up in about 10 minutes. All right, ready, go. God bless you as you discuss. All right. All right. Hope your discussions were rich. So joy, disposition of the heart, not anchored in circumstances, our vocation and our heritage. Well, um, to move on, I think if joy is our vocation, and if joy is the goal, a goal in our Christian faith, um, and if joy is the heritage and the gift and the natural expression of response of what Christ has done for us, um, I think that there is some dissonance that comes into play here, some tension that we live in as it pertains to our lives specifically, um, because I I would suggest that the great enemy of joy is envy. That the barrier and the enemy and the dissonance that comes into our lives when we're trying to live joyfully is envy. Um, Looking over the other side of the pasture and seeing, ah, that person, they got that. I kind of want that. And maybe you wouldn't even put them into words like that, but you look at your life and you look over the pasture and you look at your life and you look over the pasture and kind of look around the fence and I really wish I could be that in five years, uh, oh man, I really wish that I could learn to live my life like that person. Even if there's not a specific person associated with it, I think envy is something that we must uh, wrestle to the ground when it comes to us living in this vocation and heritage of joy. We've Many of us have heard the, the classic saying uh, growing up in church that comparison is the thief of joy. I think that is just profound and beautiful because it's so true. When we look over the fence and see, ah, that, and then this, and then, but that, oh, but this... Ugh. Comparison. It robs us of joy. It robs us of the ability to be content and to be happy. Well, not happy, because happiness is circumstantial. But it robs us of the ability to to live under this joy and in this joy of the Lord that uh, is not dependent upon the external circumstances of our lives. Comparison is a thief of joy. And I think there's no better justification for this than taking a look at our social media habits. Okay, great. So we will. Let's play out this scenario. I know I've been here, okay? So I, I share the blame right here with you guys as well. But let's play out the scenario. You're a student, okay? You, let's say you're a junior, and you've been slugging out your nursing degree or your teaching degree or any other degree that you're going for. And you're feeling good, and you're feeling content, and you're feeling, okay, I'm really learning some stuff, and and, uh, school's going well, and I got some good grades, and great. And then you hop on social media, and you start scrolling, and you see your friend who's a year ahead of you, and he or she just graduated with their nursing degree, (sighs) or with their teaching degree. God, why? Why am I a junior? Why can't I be, why can't I have that degree already? Okay. Or let's say that you got your degree and you are applying for some jobs and you're throwing some stuff out there and you're just trying to find a job that's in your sweet spot occupationally and what you've studied for, right? And you're struggling. You've applied for all these jobs. You haven't gotten called back and you're feeling okay. Yeah, whatever. Lord, I trust you. And then you scroll through social media. And your friend says, oh my gosh, I just got this great opportunity, right? This great opportunity to move to this place or that place or to do YWAM or to do this. And you're left thinking, oh, dang it. Like, why is this, why does this person who, whatever, and I get this, okay, whatever. I'm going to get too real here. You're single, okay? You're single. And... You've given your singleness to the Lord. Lord, my singleness is yours. I'm going to live content. I don't need a guy or I don't need a girl to find self-worth and to find value. Lord, I'm just going to set aside this season of singleness to you. And that day you scroll through social media and your friend gets engaged. And it's just uh, absolute damaging. Oh, God. Screw singleness. I want to be married. Like, man. Man. God, I want that person. I want that guy. I want that girl. I want, oh, just, mm, the frustration we feel, and it's all because of envy and comparison. Envy and comparison, the thieves of joy, the leeches in our lives that stick to us and that suck every ounce of joy from our lives. And so, uh, envy, in comparison, these things that we see manifest in our lives every single day are things that we must wrestle to the ground. Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that can kind of short-circuit the joy in our lives. But another thing is just living reactionarily. Living in a way that uh, where the, the state of your soul and your anchoring is dependent and contingent upon circumstances where you mix up joy and happiness. And I think that the big tension that we ride here is uh, reactionary living versus responsive living. Where so often we can be doing great and we're having a great day and we're feeling like we're gaining some traction with the Lord and we're feeling like we got the spiritual disciplines down and A, B, C, D, whatever floats your boat in life. And then all of a sudden, um, something happens. You have a conversation with a friend that's a little biting Or you overhear that that person's talking about you behind your back like that, or this or this or this, and you just, you react, and then the rest of your day is a wash, the rest of your week, or it takes an entire month to get over it and maneuver what's happening. Living reactionarily, reactionary living, where circumstances affect the state of our soul, where instead the place and the thing that is joy is living life as a response to God. Seeing that there is, in fact, like we said before, a reality that transcends our circumstances. That there is a canopy of covenant under which we live. That really is not contingent upon what happens in this relationship or what happens in school or what happens in our workplace or what happens uh, in the traction we feel like we have or don't have in the spiritual disciplines. It's living life as a response and saying, Lord, this morning, before I even get out of bed, you have been good to me. You've 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 redeemed me from the pit. You've rescued me, as the psalmist says, from the muck and the mire. You're sanctifying me. I can look back, and five years ago, um, I was much worse off than I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm finding some holiness and some maturity developing in my life. I'm seeing your provision in my life, day after day after day. It was enough that you sent Jesus, but yet you're currently working in my life and setting things straight and ordering things the way they need to be. Life is a response, then. God, as Paul would say, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. All that I am is yours, heart, soul, mind, and strength, responding to the goodness of God, responding to his gifts in our lives. Um, You know, this reactionary living versus responsive living translates and, and really manifests in my life, specifically when it comes to parenting, Because I thought I had it all together, especially before I got married. And then I got married and it's like, holy crap, I'm a toddler, (laughs) it turns out. I have attitude issues. I have dysfunction of soul that I really majorly need to work through. Those of you who are married know full well what I'm talking about. And then, I mean, I I started to feel like I was getting some ground. Like, okay, I'm actually not that bad of a person, right? The pendulum's swinging. And then I have kids, and it's like, oh, Jesus, help me. Like, I am just atrocious. I'm the worst human being on the planet. And parenthood just has this way of, like, wringing you dry And then you get a little bit of energy and consolation, and then it rings that dry as well. You're just constantly the shell of yourself. Parenthood is amazing. Okay, I love it. Great. I'm not discouraging you. Have kids. Maybe we'll have a a series on parenting so I can clean up everything I'm talking about now. But anyway, parenthood, children are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, Children are a gift, but parenthood just rings you dry. It makes you realize that you are not the hotshot Christian that you maybe thought you were. And so, I know, yeah, crazy. Crazy. And I'm being very vulnerable here. And so, in parenthood, this this thing happens every single week for us called Sabbath. And we talked about Sabbath last week. And Sabbath, you know, we go into it like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. And many times it is. But there are times where Rush is just going nuts during Sabbath, like having attitude issues and throwing himself on the ground, like at the pool and screaming. And we're those parents, right? Or Ezra has a blowout and it's like all the way up to his neck and like over into his face. Okay, Life is happening, right? And I contend as a parent, a very young parent, to uh, just react and to live reactionarily where it's just, God, rest, just Stop. Get up, Ezra, just, my goodness, what did you eat, man? And just get mad and get frustrated. And then Sabbath is like a complete wash when I do that. And any day, really, it's just, my, oh, what, what the heck is going on right now? Well, JC, and the, the good and sweet-natured wife that she is, uh, we're going into Sabbath now. And every single day, she has this habit of saying, hey, babe, I'm talking to myself as well right? She gives a disclaimer, talking to both of us, but why don't we just have an anger-free Sabbath today? I'm like, I know you're talking about me. Like, you're not angry. I'm angry, right? Let's just have an anger-free, let's choose joy. I'm like, hmm, okay, choosing joy. And when I heed the infallible voice that is my wife, when she says that, just kidding, she's not infallible, um, when, when, when I say, okay, choosing joy, yes, I find that the rest of my day takes on a different shape, and I find an orientation that I really never expect, because when you stop living uh, just with reaction to circumstances and start living responsively, like, wow, God, my eight-month-old has poop all over his body, and yet he is such a gift, Thank you. Like, thank you for the gift that is Ezra Bradley Caldwell. And Rush, my goodness, these attitude issues that are surfacing right now. You just kicked me in the shin. Lord, thank you for shin kicks and thank you for Rush and thank you that he has this wild and energetic spirit and thank you that I have the opportunity that I'm stewarded with to to cultivate that spirit and to love him well. And I see a bit of your heart for me in the way that I love Rush and Ezra well, life as a response. And you just see this new color and gradient in life that doesn't come with reacting circumstantially, Bah but living life as a response, responding to the goodness and the grace that God has given us. And so uh, I want to kick it to the tables once again to talk about this, to talk about this tension, talk about this dissonance. And the question is this, how have you seen envy, comparison, or reactive living, short-circuit joy in your life, In the past, I opened up and was vulnerable. Come on, you guys can be as well. Open up, talk about how this is manifested and translated in your life, and then we'll pick this up in just a few minutes. Ready, bring on the vulnerability, go. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. So when there's envy that we let creep into our lives, when there's comparison, when there's reactive living, when we feel that joy is short-circuited in our lives, I think uh, the question then becomes, how is consonance restored? How is orientation restored? Uh, And I think it largely comes down to us remembering why we can have joy in the first place. Remembering our heritage and remembering uh, the reasons for us to be joyful. And then we find, wait a minute, okay, yes, not circumstantial. There's anchoring, there's equilibrium, there's rooting and grounding. First Peter talks about it this way in verses 3 through 9. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's telling of this narrative that we've been ushered into. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That sounds like a pretty good deal, huh? My gosh, we could just camp out on those passages and just feast so much there. In all of this, you greatly, what? Rejoice. Joyful. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, which we suffer today. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of yours. Look what the Lord has done for you, people of God, Peter is saying. He's saying, look at all these things that the Father has just showered on you you've been redeemed, you've been reconciled. And more than that, it's not just for this life so that you can die and then live in this void of existence, but it's actually so that you can live with an unbroken and unbridled relationship with your father, the creator of your very souls, whom you were made through and whom you were made for, so that you can live with him for eternity and the life of the world to come. That is your inheritance Where you live in this now and that not yet, that is coming to you, the inheritance of the life of the world to come. Christ has made a way. He is at work in your story, and he is redeeming your story, is what Peter is after. Therefore, we greatly rejoice because we're receiving an inheritance. This is the defense against envy. This is the defense against comparison. This is the defense against these things that, that leech onto us and suck us dry of our joy. We can come back to the remembrance, Peter says, of all of these things, this inheritance that the Father has showered upon us. Let's say it this way. We have everything we'll ever need. In this vapor that is life, and in eternity in the life of the world to come. We have everything we will ever need, young adults. There is no lack in our lives. And if we perceive there to be, whether as our bodies break down or circumstances hit the fan or the bottom falls out of life, We can trust and know that we have everything we need, even maybe not in this life at times, but definitely in the life of the world to come, the inheritance that is being given to us. And so we can take uh, solace in that, and we can take refuge in that, and we can know, okay, the Lord is doing something in our lives, and I can have a joy that is not contingent upon my circumstances. Though joy doesn't uh, really deny the reality of the difficulty of life sometimes, joy can be anchored and is anchored in what the Father has done for us. And as we conclude, St. Francis de Sales, the uh, 16th century Catholic mystic who is profound in his writings on the soul, says this, "'Live joyful. "'Our Lord looks upon you "'and looks upon you with love "'and with tenderness "'in proportion to your weakness.'" Never permit your mind to willingly entertain thoughts to the contrary. He loves our poor, abject, fallen nature, notwithstanding all its misery. Live joyful. We have a Father who looks on us with life and with love and with vibrancy and meets our needs. And so we can anchor ourselves in joy, knowing that he's provided for us, knowing that he's attentive to our condition, knowing that he has promised us Provision in this life and fulfillment and fullness in life in the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks for this inheritance that you've showered upon us. And therefore, we choose joy. We live joyfully. Would you help us to live joyfully? Not blindly deny the facts and reality of our lives not blindly deny sickness if we have it, not blindly deny uh, poverty if we're living in it, but uh, admitting that there's brokenness and fallenness in our lives. And yet we can still be centered and grounded in joy because of this inheritance that's been showered upon us. We look ahead for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come and our life eternal with King Jesus and Father and Holy Spirit. So would you do it in our midst, we ask. Do it in our souls. Anchor us in the joy as our vocation and our heritage. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.